Welcome to Life in Purple, providing you with the latest from women entrepreneurs, amazing mums, human interest stories and celebrity guests. Your host, Laura Sprague, discusses women's topics such as success, empowerment, perseverance, lifestyle and much more. Laura also offers a fun and unique perspective while providing listeners with valuable tips on how to successfully conquer the many issues women may face. Come experience your life in purple. And now, here's your host, the life coach with the most, Laura Sprague. Hello, Lip Talk Nation. Welcome to Life in Purple. I'm your host, Laura Sprague, and thank you so much for listening to this episode. You are in for a treat today, but Lip Talk Nation, I want to reach out to you and find out if you listen to any of our past episodes, especially with our previous episode with Mir Ezra. We did a special episode just with him focusing on his parenting academy and raising kids. If you are tuning in for the first time, check out liptalknation.com and there you will find more resources such as my personal coaching, blog, and my much, much more. On our show today, we are doing our first in-house interview with Tony Pasco. He has been in the music industry for over 25 years. He has performed with some of the music's greatest legends. He has performed with some of music's greatest legends, including Vince Neil, Johnny Highland, and Bobby Rush, just to name a few. But what Tony might be most known for is his music on Duck Dynasty. He performs many acoustic shows and works closely with the Epilepsy Foundation. In fact, he has pretty much done it all, even product design, in-store clinics, product training, and market research, not to mention building relationships with other people in the industry. He was recently awarded a proclamation from the state of Mississippi for his contributions to the arts. Wow, Tony, welcome to the show. How are you today? I'm good. Thank you for having me. Oh, it is an honor. And thank you so much for allowing us to do the interview in-house. This is so exciting for us. Cool. And I can't wait for Lip Talk Nation to get to know you. But before we get into your story, will you share with us a little bit of where you're from and how you got your start? Well, I'm originally from Chicago, and uh, my dad was a professional musician when I was growing up, and uh, so I had that influence with music, and he was always in bands, and he played professionally and played the Playboy clubs back in the 60s and played with Curtis Mayfield and all these people, and uh, so growing up, music, of course, and my mom sings, and my sister plays piano and sings, and so we were a very musical family, and uh, and you know, I, you just gravitate to it, you know, when it's there and you have that influence. And we used to have band practice at our house all the time. So I could go down in the basement and there would be drums and guitars and keyboards and, and whatever I wanted to mess around with, I, I had access to. So having that influence, I think, makes it more real. It makes it something that, hey, I can do this. And and when you see your dad and, and his friends and you know, um, doing those kinds of things. It inspires you to want to do it yourself. So, of course, I took lessons and started my own bands and joined other bands. And I was I was terrible for a very long time. I'm not a natural musician. I work at it a lot. I, I practice quite a bit um, every day. You know, <laughs> I got to stick with it. My dad was a very natural musician like my sister is. 
and it just comes in and it flows through them very naturally. But but me and, and even my mom, we have to rehearse, we have to practice, and so for us, it, it has that we have that extra discipline that we have to have. Maybe that's why I've had maybe a career because I had to work harder for it. It didn't come as easy to me, and and I didn't have my introduction into the music industry wasn't really great. It wasn't a great. I had a great childhood being in the industry as far as working with my dad and with his band. I was this weird little kid that, um, you know, instead of going to sleepovers, you know, on a Friday, I'd be at the Ramada setting up drums and a PA system for my dad's gig. And, and I was that weird little 10 year old <clears throat> that would go, well, you know, there's a, the drummer's the main lead singer and we have two backup mics over here and he likes this and then set up the, the wedges over here. And so, and then I used to sit, my dad was the lead singer drummer for his band. So I used to sit behind him during the shows and I hand him a towel. If he broke a stick, I'd have give him another stick or he wanted a drink. I had hand him his drink. So, I learned from that standpoint. I didn't get just up on stage. Like, you know, I feel sorry sometimes for some of these kids. These parents push them on stage and they have absolutely no respect for why they're on there. And it took me a long time. Like, I I could play, I thought, pretty good. And my dad would not let me play with his band or go perform with them until he felt I was ready. And he used to say, you know, you have to learn all the other jobs So when you do step on that stage, you appreciate that position. So he always made me work for it. It was always a job. It wasn't this, like, I would, I deserve to be there. You know, a lot of, a lot of these people, musicians I played with, they have this really weird, to me, it's a weird outlook of, you know, you're there to see them. These people are paying to come and see you. Like you're so special or something. And I never saw that side. Nobody ever told me that that we have this talent and we should just be up there and people gravitate to it, blah, 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 all this stuff. I was never told that not one time in my life. My dad used to always tell me, you're the entertainment for the night. You're there to make sure they have a good time and that the bar does well so the club owner hires you back. That's all I was ever told. That's how I was taught. So when I would put bands together and we'd go and play, I was always very conscious of our, of our set list and the flow and, you know, reading the audience and stuff. And these guys were up there like, you know, oh, look at me. I'm great. And this, I'm like, you're not. You're really, you were off on that one part. And, you know, we didn't hit that ending because that's how I was raised. I was raised to think that this is a job. You're here to provide entertainment. And if the audience has a good time, then you've done your job. So that's, I, I always went into it with a completely different point of view, which, was very hard in my beginnings of doing my own band and getting into the industry because most musicians play for themselves. They don't play for an audience. Very few you get play for the audience. But the ones that do are the ones that have careers and the ones that do well and the ones that, you know, have longevity. And I always saw that. and And I would try and explain this to the guys I was in bands with going, do you not see these little things these guys are doing? Obviously, they work because they're way more successful than we are. So why don't we try and emulate that? And but you you can't you know it's that saying you know you can you know lead somebody to water but you can't make them drink. It, it's exactly that that I've I've run into that many many times with musicians. You know you can tell them this is how it is. Here's here's the the book for success. It, it doesn't mean at all they're going to read it or follow any of it. 
Tony, you said something at the very beginning of this, and I really love what you said. You had all the instruments in front of you. You were easily influenced by the music already. Yeah. And you said, oh, I can do this. Oh, yeah. So even though it may have been a challenge for you, you said that you had to have a little bit more discipline. You and your mom were the natural musicians. Mm -hmm. It sounds like you were still determined. It sounded like you still understood the correct reason of music, like your dad taught you and your mom taught you, yeah. that it was about the audience and not playing just for yourself. And that leads into our next question, Tony, which I've had the pleasure of getting to know you a little bit, and I mm -hmm. love hearing your stories. I love your passion, and I love your um, perspective on music. So will you share with Lip Talk Nation your perspective of this music and what music means to you? And I'm not talking about the style, but I'm talking about how we were talking about what drives you with music. Well, personally, I mean, it's an art form. It's it's a, it's a self of, it, it, you know, it's the only kind of expression. I mean, for me, some people are, are sculptors, some people are painters, some people are dancers. You know, there's all these forms of expression. For me, I'm a musician. That's 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 the what I chose to be my art form. And uh I, yes, it's a business. Yes, there are technical aspects to it. But at the end of the day, you're creating art. And the best art provokes some kind of feeling, whatever it ends up being. I try to provoke good feelings if I can, but not always. And you don't, but, and if it's honest, if you're honest about your art, it'll come across that way. And, and musicians always say, well, how do you write in this style of music or that? And since I can, write in many different styles of music i was telling you earlier you you just have to get your head in that space and then once you're in that space then you deal with those you know the like like if you're painting a picture with watercolors you're not going to do a chalk drawing as a watercolor you know what i mean now you're dealing with that format so if i'm writing something on acoustic guitar most likely I'm not going to write something that's Metallica would play or something. You know what I mean? That's heavier or you, so, so that's, that's within what I try to be. And I try to be as honest as I can when I'm in that headspace of, of whatever limitations or whatever rules I was given to, to write. Or even if I'm writing something, um, you never sit down. I get songwriters asking me this. Well, how do you write a hit? You don't. You don't. It, it becomes a hit later. You have no idea what you're writing at the time. And you really shouldn't limit. Now, now, you can give yourself limitations to a certain extent. But don't limit yourself as far as saying, well, I'm going to write a hit song today. Well, it doesn't work that way. Or I'm going to write a song with this subject matter. Some writers probably can do that. I'm not that kind of musician. It comes out of me, however, and I try, and I've learned doing this long enough, you learn the skill of letting things flow through you and getting it out. It becomes something important to me after the fact, where all of a sudden I didn't intend to write something with a certain subject matter, but then it turned into that. And then it's like, wow, okay, well, this, this is how it came out. This is honestly how, what, what it turned into. And then you champion it, but it has to come from a place of honesty. If you go into it saying, well, I'm going to write a country hit and it's going to play and it's going to be this kind of, you know, thing, then you kind of, uh, then, then it gets a little cheesy. 
That's an excellent perspective, Tony. And that's, I think, why I'm drawn to you is exactly what you said. It is about creating an emotion and hopefully that good feeling when you write. And it's not about going in and limiting yourself and saying, hey, I'm going to write this number one song. And Love Talk Nation, I really want to reach out to you right now. Some of you do have these dreams and you set these limitations upon yourself. And I want you to open your eyes and open your mind right now to what Tony has to say, because he has conquered a lot of obstacles and we're getting ready to deal with that. But I want you to open your mind, like I said, and don't limit yourself. That's what life in purple is all about, is conquering that negative talk inside of our heads. And if we can, if you're in the music industry or love music or whatever, um, whatever career you have or whatever your job is, it's all about not limiting yourself and following your passion, Tony. That's a great perspective and I love, that's why I had to share it with Love Talk Nation. So you've been in the industry for over 25 years now. And first of all, congrats to you, by the way. You had that was a lot a long of time. I don't know. Yes. <laughs> time flies. You have oh, quite the accomplishment. So <laughs> kudos to you. Wow. So along this journey, has there ever been or what are the obstacles that you've had to overcome to get where you are today? Well, I, the one thing I can't say, and you touched upon this, you will always be your own worst enemy. You will always be the hardest obstacle to overcome is yourself. And and I still fall into this. It's it's extremely hard to do anything creative from negativity. I mean, I maybe some maybe again, other people may have a totally different thing where they write maybe this down negative type of music because it, they are negative and that's truly how they feel and that's what comes out. I'm not that kind of person. I get blocked up. I can't be negative. I can't have hate. I can't have these things, self-doubts um, when I'm writing. The, the best thing about, and I shouldn't say self-doubt because self-doubt, you can be an ally because here's what you got to understand about yourself, that you're human, you have faults, um, your insecurities are, and, and, and as bad as you feel about the, these things that you try to hide that you feel that you don't like, end up, when you throw them out there, it, the hardest thing to do in any, especially in the music industry, the hardest thing for me is throwing your most intimate, awkward things about yourself and you share them with the world. And these songs, you have to bear yourself and you will get criticized and people will say that they think it sucks and this and that and all that. But that's not the worst part, I found out, when people criticize you. That's not the, that's not the worst. The worst part is you believing the criticism. Okay, I got to stop you right there because that was so good. You gave me goosebumps, Tony. Live Talk Nation, he just said the worst part about criticism and about the obstacles is first of all you and your your worst obstacle but then when you're out there and you release your soul and you're writing music or you're out there just bearing your story mm -hmm. like you are today Tony the hardest part is what you just said believing what people are saying about you believing that negativity that's yeah. out there and I think that that's very contagious negativity is such a contagious thing it's oh it is yeah easy. well anger is an easier emotion to deal with than happiness even though it takes less muscles to smile than it is to frown but still we live in a world that is you're constantly and it's not your fault you have to also give yourself a break you're also you live in a world no matter where you turn around somebody's trying to sell you something tell you something 
lie to you, steal from you, take money from you, try to do all these things. They're trying to, you can't turn on the TV without them telling you that any product you use, something's wrong with it, or this is wrong, or if this happens to your kids, then they're going to die, or this is going to happen to them. If you don't buy this product, then this could happen. I mean, you're co- they sell fear, really, and you're constantly being bombarded. So if you feel that way, you have to own it to a certain extent and acknowledge it because we live in, a, we live in that world right now where that's what sells things. Um, I, I was watching Good Morning America and within five minutes, I had all this like tightness and I was just all, and then I'm watching the TV and I'm like, in the, in five minutes, you know, this product's going to kill you. This will give you a disease. Then there's this, well, we're going to cancel the Olympics because of that. And this, within five minutes, I got bombarded with the, like the ending of the world they give you. And then coming up next, Justin Bieber, you know, and you're like, oh my God, this is the worst life ever. But you can't let that in. You can't let any of that stuff in. You have to d- dig deep inside, and then that's uh, saying that's easy. Doing it is extremely difficult. Extremely difficult. Dealing with things that happened to you in the past and things that have um, you're dealing with now, and insecurities and shortcomings, and we all have them. But I'm telling you, it's though if you can go to those spots, that's where the best stuff comes from. It just doesn't come from anywhere else. I hate to say it. No, I'm sitting on the edge of my chair right now. If you can go there, Live Talk Nation, if you can go to the most vulnerable spots of your story, that's where the healing begins. That's where The best stuff comes from it. Boom. And I know as as a musician myself, that's exactly, you know, how I write songs. It's just so I can heal. Like the best stuff, when I can get it out. You know, yeah. and I know that's so true for yeah. you, Tony. It's a process. You gotta let your body process stuff, and sometimes you have to let other things out to get to the really good stuff. So this is that, and this is the other thing with songwriting: don't try and write um, anything that you think is good. Just write, like that saying: "Writers write always." It's the exact same thing with songwriters. If you don't let out the not so good stuff. You'll never get to the really good stuff because you got to get set. You got to give yourself room. You got to clear your head. You got to get it out of your system. I've, I've written lots of lots and lots of really bad things, but they end up being good for a different situation down the line. I never would have written it if I was searching for the one thing I wanted to write. So that's the thing you, you can't give, you know, you want to give yourself direction in your career, but don't limit yourself as far as your creativity. You got to let that stuff flow. And people ask me, do you get writer's block? And I'm like, oh my God, do I get writer's block? We all do. But I've learned doing this the last few years, writing music for TV. And I've done 12, 1500 tracks or whatever in the last few years for TV. What I found was when you get blocked up, it usually means I'm trying to write something that's just not in me yet. And you got to let the other stuff go. So if you just write, because sometimes I get these themes from TV and I don't see the shows prior. So I have no idea how they're using my music. So sometimes I'll get a, I'll get um, an email and I say, hey, we need uh, Kurt Cobain meets Johnny Cash. Well, you're like, what? So you have this premise and that's where writer's block comes from for me. Because now I'm thinking in these little boxes of, Nirvana, Johnny Cash, Nirvana. But to get past all that, a lot of times you have to analyze it and step back and go, well, you know, really, they want loud guitars with a Johnny Cash attitude. 
So that then you start figuring it out and then it's a process. So you got to give yourself, take that step back. Think about what you're trying to accomplish because you got to have an end game. Some musicians you always hear about, they're, they're, they're these perfectionists and it takes them 10 years to, to make an album and they mix everything 30 times. All that tells me is they have absolutely no clue what it is they want at the end of the day. If you don't have an end game, you'll never finish these projects. And if you if you can't make a decision to finally check yourself and go, done, good enough. You know, I mean, you hate to say that about your art, but every so often, you know, not all not all your kids are going to be superstars. You know what I mean? And if you think of songs as your kids, then, you know, you have your favorites and then, you know, the other ones are still good songs, you know, and they still fit the purpose, but not everything is going to be that one. Tony, this is really good for me to hear right now, especially as a musician. I've kind of taken a little bit of a hiatus because I've been on this journey of life in purple and helping people, but it is so true. I would limit myself into writing a song and I wouldn't write every day. I would like, wait, I am, you know, one of those ones that would like, I need that. Mm -mm, I don't feel it. But as I released my feelings, you know, and went to the vulnerable parts of my story, like you were saying, then it becomes true and you got to continue writing. And then those great songs come. Yeah. You know, those great moments come. And Tony, I love that you said that because, I mean, that's something I was I very much faced myself. So I think that's more of me wanting to control the situation. So Lip Talk Nation, I'm going to reach out right here and say, how many of you are trying to control the situation? Because we often get caught up in suppressing our story, not releasing, and then still wanting to control. When in reality, if we let go of the past, like Tony just said, how much freedom we would have in our souls. Like he, you said earlier in, in an answer that you can't handle negativity. You can't go there. You just let yourself be happy. And you just answered my next question, oh. <laughs> which was, no, it was really good. Like how many songs have you written and um, how often do you write? So you write every day. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. And For so, the most part. I mean, I take yeah. sometimes getting away from it is, is, is a form of, of the therapy. Clearing out your head, having experiences. I got to say, you know, going out on the water, seeing a sunset, you know, hanging out with my wife or, or, or doing other things, having coffee with a buddy, you know what I mean? Catching up on old times or something. All of that stirs up memories. It stirs up emotions that you can bring back to your writing. And then all of a sudden you play that G chord and it has a whole new feel to it. You've played a G chord a hundred million times, but then today, because you had coffee with your buddy and you were talking about that time when you guys were six and this or something, whatever happened. And then you strum it and they, oh, there it is, da 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 and, and there's, there's the next track, you know, there's the next song or the next beginning of something. So you know, allowing yourself to live the life helps. Now, I, I tend to be a little technical as a musician where I can fall back on chord progressions and this and that. And I have books I can look up. Well, if, if I get caught, well, where do I go from here? I'm stuck with these two chords and where, what would, you know, theory wise, I know where I could go. Doesn't mean that the emotion is going to go with it. Sometimes knowing the theory helps with the emotion. Sometimes, you know, you, you're so like, oh, I don't know where to go with this. I'm stuck. I have this and you're filled with this feeling and you just don't know what to do with it. Sometimes for me, knowing technically where a chord progression should go, all of a sudden I hit that F minor seventh that I never would have thought about. All of a sudden there's the next line or there's the, the key to the next phrase or 
But you got to give yourself that space, that time. I love it. You got to give yourself freedom, the space, and the time. And you are, like I said, doing great things, Tony. And I recently found out that you had also had epilepsy as, as a kid. A, yeah, yeah, as mm-hmm. a kid. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious, like, how long did you have it, and how has it influenced you with your music career? Well, you know, it, it actually affected my mom more than it affected me because I was a little kid when I had. So I don't remember. I was in first grade. <clears throat> I remember teachers coming up to me and and or slapping me on my hand because I just kind of fade, you know, you kind of fade out. You know what I mean? When you're having a seizure. I didn't have violent seizures. I would just kind of, they call it daydreaming. Oh, he's a daydreamer. He's just, he's off in another. And it wasn't. It was out. I actually had a, an actual thing. And uh, <laughs> so my mom went, took me to, to doctors. I went through therapy and it cleared up that I had, like I said, I'm very lucky. I had a very mild form of it. And, uh, I was able to move past it and with medication and stuff. And that kind of, the kind I had, I grew out of as, as I got older. So I didn't think twice about it. And the only reason that I, I brought it up in my bio now, um, because I never said anything to anybody about it. You just never did. There was a stigma to it, especially back, you know, in the seventies and stuff. So my mom never said anything. And, uh, I ended up meeting, uh, Tony Coelho. He's the, um, ex-senator for California, and I was doing a show and we, I don't know how we got, came up, came about this subject matter, but then he tells me about his epilepsy and how, when he addressed the Pope and how we, oh yeah, he's just, you know, was is amazing guy. I mean, he's done more than in, than 10 people combined and being a Senator and being successful and having this, you know, having epilepsy and, uh, how flashing lights at concerts sometimes can trigger it. And he had a much, much worse case because he has a, as an adult and I, and I still at that point in time, wasn't going to say anything about it. And I don't remember he brought it up and he made it seem like it was okay because he was so successful and I never met anybody like that. And then, um, I mentioned to him, Oh, you know, I had it as a kid and this and that. And he goes, well, why don't you do anything about it? I'm like, well, what, there's nothing to do. And he's like, well, you could join the Epilepsy Foundation and I can have you come out. You're an inspiration and kids don't know you can play music and this and that and blah, 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 blah. And it goes into this whole thing. Well, then that started making me think, well, you know, when I was a kid and I learned how to play music and I have no medical proof of this whatsoever, but um, there is a correlation. And now the Epilepsy Foundation, there is a study going on trying to prove how music and epilepsy can cut down on seizures because what I explained to him was I think my seizures weren't really all that bad, not only because of the type that I had, but when you play, especially guitar for me, when I was taking guitar lessons, your body has to be in a rhythm. You know what I mean? It's not just your fingers, your mind, your focus. And and when, when you trigger um, a seizure, you know, it's anxiety, it's lack of breath, your lack of focus, you can't, you know what I mean? And then you go, your body reacts and you go into a seizure and your body has a seizure. So, but when you're playing music, for the most part, you're very relaxed. That's why they, they call it playing music and not working music, you know, because you're, you're kind of chill and you're having fun and you're trying to be creative and it's a different part of your mind, your brain. So I think I told him, I go, I think that had something to do with it. He goes, oh, you got to start telling people that. You got to start, you know, he goes, because kids that have epilepsy are singled out and they don't know other people because you don't talk about it. So they don't know 
Johnny has it because they're not saying nothing. You have it. You're not saying anything. So you, both of you guys are isolated when you could be together. And, and that's, and that's when he said, he goes, you have to start talking about it. He goes, stop putting it in the closet and hiding it. And he really got me to start thinking differently about things that have happened in my life. Cause then I started to talk about it. And what I didn't realize, cause I was so far removed. I thought I'm not 10. Yeah. I'm a grown man now. I'm in my, you know, thirties at that time, you know. But then all of a sudden, I'm talking about it, and I'm, I'm, I'm in front of people, and I'm 10 years old. And it was very hard to come in touch with those emotions. And that's when I started being like, this, this is hard. This is not fun. But then it was after people thanking me and then hearing their stories. And then you, be, you feel these connections that you're making. And then you start realizing, wow, this thing that I do could be more than just a G chord or an F chord or whatever, or self-fulfilling to me as a rock star guy or a musician guy, you know what I mean? That actually can mean something. And then, then, then you're, now you're talking about a totally different, you know, mission in life. And, and that's when I started really writing better. I could write before, but I write my, I, personally, my writing went, you know, from here to here, you know, I mean, a huge leap forward. Because it was honest. And then I started hitting those those parts. You know, Tony, I am so proud of you for starting, you know, for sharing your part of the story of having epilepsy. I have so many people that come to me and friends and feel like that their story isn't anything. Like it's nothing. And here they have conquered rape and here they have, you know, conquered cancer. And they're like, my story isn't anything. But just like you said, Tony, when Mm. you got up there and started sharing your story, you went back being that 10-year-old boy, and there was these true emotions that you hadn't really ever dealt uh-uh. with. Well, you know, and you don't think. I just grew up. Right. You know, that's so you don't even think of it because you think, well, I'm, I'm an adult now. So I moved on and, you know, but then when you talk about it, and then you start realizing when there's a community of other people, you know, I mean, so that that's why I, I, I try to explain to people, whatever you've gone through, it, it's not that you went through it, that's the bad part. And this is what Tony Coelho told me. The worst thing you can do by going through something is then hiding the fact that you went through it. I love what you just said, hiding. Hiding what you went through it, that's the worst thing. And yeah. I'm so glad you had that influence from Tony Coelho. Yeah. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Last Tony Coelho. He had the influence on you because that's what Life in Purple is. We are a community for people's stories to get out. Yeah, because bad things are going to happen. It's how you deal with them and move forward. I end up finding out is is, is really the key. So, and, that, and that's just like being a musician. I mean... People are going to tell you, you suck and your music's terrible. That's just going to happen. That's the given. And then then you go, yeah, some of it is, you know? I mean, yeah, not everything I write is great. If that's how you feel, fine. And then you move on because, you know, that you have to get to a point in your life. If you let that stuff stop you, that's the little stuff. The big stuff, when that really hits, well, then you're totally unprepared and then you're getting just slaughtered by the big stuff because i i mean when i first came when i came out my first record i called it um noise and um and that and the reviewer of course the first review i got of course said yeah the title the album lives up to its title it's just nothing but a bunch of noise and i was hurt by that and i set myself up for that criticism in the calling the album that i called my label 
And I said, you see the review? And they said, yeah. And they were laughing. And they're like, you think he'd be a little more, you know, and they said, that journalist, if he was a true journalist, he would have, that was an easy insult. He goes, he could have done something a little more intelligent if he was really good. But, and they were laughing about it. And I said, well, that, I go, I, did I write a bad record? And they said, no. See, what you need to understand is they said, welcome to the music industry. They don't criticize bad records. They only criticize good records. He goes, the White Album gets criticized like crazy, but it's the freaking Beatles. You know what I mean? He goes, they don't didn't criticize Millie Vanilli's album until they found out they didn't really sing on it or anything like that. But at the time, the song was a hit. You know what I mean? But the song's terrible. So he goes, they don't kick people really when they're down like that. If it, if it was good, that's when they get you get the criticism. Because he said, the things that are always the best are the easiest. You listen, the, your favorite songs are always the easiest little niche thing or a little riff and you're, and, and it's the easiest little thing. And then you're like, man, like I could have wrote that, but you didn't. He did. And he had to hit with it. And that's how you have to kind of think of it is over time, you know, when people criticize you. And that's what he said about my record. He goes, no, it's a good record. That's why they criticized it. That's what I love about you, Tony. You so, just keep on going. Well, you have to. You and, can't stop. And ever. you don't listen to the, noise that they give you and the criticism. Well, I did at first and I yeah. was like, oh, wow, this is terrible. I don't like but this see, at that's all. why you're on Live Talk Nation, like the purple, <laughs> to share with us your pearls of wisdom and what you've learned from in being in the music industry because that's one of the toughest industries, I believe, to be in. Oh, it's terrible. It's, it's constant criticism. Oh, it's total. So yeah. you're, you really are an inspiration. So I want to pick your brain right here. If you live by, because we're big fans of talking to yourself here at Live mm -hmm. Talk Nation, like positive affirmations and mm -hmm. just getting all the junk out, even if it's just to yourself in front of the mirror. So I want to know, Tony, if you have a daily mantra that you live by, or if you just wake up every day with your why in front of you, like, I want to know what really keeps you going every day. What makes you tick? Huh? Yeah, I don't do a daily affirmation thing. I'm trying to think of if, if I do, and I just didn't think of it. Um, I guess what I do, what works for me is I have a guitar. I always in reach somewhere in my house. And for me, that's my solitude. That's my, my buddy. That's my protector. You know what I mean? Um, everything that people maybe say are bad feelings or whatever, that instrument, you know, makes it feel better. So that's my therapy. That's my therapist. You know, my guitar is, is my, you know, my drug dealer, my coach, my, you know, my therapist all wrapped into six strings and, and some wood, you know, all of it, I get it all out on the instrument. So when I wake up in the morning, usually the first thing I do uh, in the morning is I play guitar right away. I mean, I'm, you know, still half asleep and, you know, rubbing the crest out of my eyes and playing something that I heard during the night or something that I, I always dream, I always have songs and music in my head or progression. So I wake up and I usually have, or I have a really bad song stuck in my head and I even got to get that out and I'll sit there and I'll be like, oh man, I, I should learn this song, even though I hate it and it's a terrible song, but I'll learn it because it's in there. So to me, maybe that's my daily affirmation is having my guitar there. If I had a good night, nightmares or whatever, I can pick up that thing. I can play a little bit because, um, you know, how can you have a bad day if you're playing guitar? I mean, 
Absolutely. Well, I'm, I'm right here. Like I said, I'm right in front of you, so I'm nodding my head. Yes, Lip Talk Nation can't see this, so I gotta <laughs> have to describe it to them. But what I, I mean to say or meant to say as well, is there any songs that you do every day? Because that is a form of affirmation. So yes, you pick up your guitar, whether it is yeah. uh, something that you play over and over again, the same song or just something, yeah, you something. have a habit that is a release. That is a confirmation that is a, you know, validating yourself as a musician. So Lip Talk Nation, there you go. He does play. I so guess secretly I do. does positive affirmations through guitar playing. You know what I do? And most people would probably say this is a bad habit, but I grew up this way. And, and it's just kind of funny. This is what I do for a living now. I used to sit on the couch and I would play to all the TV shows and I'd learn everything that was playing on TV. And I remember my parents would be like, stop, we're watching TV. Stop trying to figure out the song. It's not, you know what I mean? Because sometimes I'd be way off. I couldn't figure it out. I'd try to figure something out. And my wife, poor thing, she she would say, she's like, hon, come on now. You know, put that down. We're watching the, the movie. And, this, and I'm sitting there trying to figure something. And I just, that's just how my mind works. But this is what I do for a living now. So I have all that in my head and I learned all these it's just it's kind of funny how things have worked out in my life where I had that very annoying habit as a kid that turned into a career well it just goes to show you that mm. it's the experience yeah it gave you the experience you needed well and and it teaches you how to listen this is the other thing being a musician um, I think I have pretty good ears um, only because I learned how to pay attention my dad used to do this thing with me and this was kind of our thing and I miss, and he passed away years ago. So I kind of miss doing this, but I do this all the time when I hear music. And it's his fault because he taught me, he, he brainwashed me into doing it this way. We would put on a record when I was a little kid. Didn't matter what it was. He'd put on some record that his favorite record. And we, he'd play it, he'd crank it up really loud. And then he'd go, Now, do you hear what the drummer's doing with the kick and see how the bass? And the kick are playing off each other. Now listen, and you have to train your ear to hone in, get past the guitars, get past the vocals, to really concentrate on one thing that's going on in a mix. And my dad analyzed music. He didn't just listen to music, he analyzed it. And it was annoying, as you would, I mean, but for me... Anytime I got to spend with him, it was a cool thing. So he had my attention completely. So when he would tell me to do these things, I did these things. I literally did these things. And and the only time I would, if I want to have a conversation with my dad or if I wanted to, you know, impress him or something like that, like a kid does, there, listen to song. Do you see, do you hear how they did the reverb on this guitar? Do you think they, they did it in a room or how do you think it was mic'd? And my dad and I would have these conversations. And... What that has taught me and now having a career mixing and doing studio work and stuff is paying attention to the relationship of, of instruments. And then what I found out is that's another thing that my writing has gone to another level because now do I, I understand the technical part of, re, of how these things should be mixed together and how the relationship of the instruments to get the feeling of whatever I'm trying to portray of from the music. So, so it, it's, you know, a lot of people are great players, but you know, when they say, Oh man, I saw him live and his record just isn't a good representation of how he is live. And the reason for that is, is that he doesn't understand the relationship 
of the emotion. Because when you're in a recording studio, it's a technical thing. You know what I mean? You don't have an audience to feed off of, but you can still get that same emotion across in a recording as you would live. It's a totally different practice. So some of these guys have some of these guys have that balance. Okay. Stevie Ray Vaughan had that balance. You'd see him live and you're just like, oh my God, he's amazing. You hear his records and there it is still. So certain Beatles had it. Led Zeppelin has it. ACDC has it. I mean, that's why the biggest bands in the world are the biggest bands in the world because they understand these, they're able to get this emotion across. And technically, how do you achieve that to allow that emotion to come out? So for me, I learned at a very young age, I guess, just to pay attention, to quiet everything out. And maybe that's how I, uh, again, going back to the epilepsy thing, kept me calmer, kept me focused, kept my seizures at a minimum because it's when things hit you at, at, at all at one time and all of a sudden you start sweating and you're hot and you're under anxiety and then boom, you're having a seizure. You have to learn, you know, and again, maybe me having that thing, which most people would say was a negative Maybe it became a positive in my life because it gave me these other skills. And that's the, and, and I, but I didn't pay attention to it until this man came to me and made it okay to share those things and to tell me if you don't share and let it out and, and then get comfortable yourself, you're never going to get over it. it it's always going to be there. But you have to get to a certain point where you understand why it happened, how it happened, how you're moving forward with it. You got to be okay with all those things. I love how you said you need to pay attention, be aware of your surroundings. And you're talking about the technical part and the audience part. And it really is the emotion, Tony. Lip Talk Nation, I hope that you have enjoyed listening to Tony's story. Tony, thank you so much for sharing your story and being vulnerable with us. Now it's time to go to the part of the show where we get to know you on a fun level. We call this our lightning round and the questions are very simple and they're easy to answer, Tony. Okay, just answer the first thing that comes to your mind. All right. (laughs) If you could have a superpower, what would it be? Oh, superpower. Breathing underwater. <laughs> Whoa, that's a first for Lip Talk Nation. Oh, how do you like your coffee? Uh, black with a little sugar. Black with a little sugar. Your peanut style. Mm-hmm. All right, most embarrassing moment. Uh, I have a lot to choose from. <laughs> um, I'll give you this one. Um, I met B.B. King. I was in California. And this was years ago when I smoked. And you could only smoke outside in California back then. And he was coming out, I was doing this trade show, and he was coming out of the Civic Center, and I was going in, they had these double doors. So I held the outside doors open to let him pass, because he was going to walk right past me. And I'm like, wow, that's B.B. King. So I figured, I'm never going to get this close to B.B. King again. So I went to put out my hand to shake his hand as he walked by, and I went, I'm pleased to meet you. And my (laughs) voice cracked. Everybody starts laughing at me. And he shakes my hand. Oh, nice to meet you too, young man. You know, and he keeps walking. And there's a whole crowd of people laughing at me. And then my buddy who was with me, he's like, oh, you sound like a little girl. And I'm like, well, stop. And, and you know, because it's because, you know, in the music industry, you meet these guys. So most of them, I could care less. You know, I don't get starstruck. But this is B.B. King. You know, the king of the blues here. And I was a little nervous. And it was just, I didn't prepare. He was right there. It happened so fast. 
So Lip Duck Nation, Tony Pasco being real with us in his most embarrassing moment. So I would say that was probably the most embarrassing. <laughs> his voice cracked when he met BB King. Yeah. Oh my goodness. That's actually pretty funny. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know. It's awesome. But it wasn't that it cracked, but like there were like, I don't know how many people there laughing at me, you know, because it was, I guess it was funny. And then my buddies made it even worse. You know, you sound like a little, and then he said, he goes, you would have peed yourself if that was Clapton. And I was like, shut up. Stop. You have really great friends. So, yeah. He's not a friend anymore. But. Oh. <laughs> so anyway, yeah, no, that would, that would be the one I'd give you. There's lots in the okay. music industry. Well, we there's talk lots. after. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. Um, okay. So what is your favorite hobby outside of music? Is there one? Uh, I you know what? Probably I don't know if it's a hobby, but I do enjoy um, that. One of the reasons why I moved here to Pensacola um, was the beach. I enjoy the beach. I enjoy just sitting there, and uh, you know, I, I like to clear. You know, you sometimes just gotta clear your head, and and there's something you know. The best musician in the world is is Mother Nature. And there's rhythms everywhere if you know how to listen for them. And sometimes just hearing that the ocean, you know, the competitive, you know, just the the constant ocean waves and stuff. There is something about the beach. The smells and Mm -hmm. the sights and the sounds and you stare at it for hours. Oh, I could spend, I could stay all day, all day. So I don't know if that's a hobby. You that's know, okay. But yeah, that's, I actually know a lot of friends who would love to be down here right now, and they can't. So yeah. you know, there's a lot of people that are drawn to it. So that's a pretty cool hobby. I'm going to say that yes, it okay. is. I'm validating it. Okay. Yes. Okay. <laughs> what is your favorite movie, Tony? Godfather. Godfather. By far, all of life's experiences and answers, anything you have problem with, will be answered in the Godfather. My husband would high five you right now. It's true. Yeah. You can come up with any example of anything that goes on in your life and you can find the answer in the Godfather, no no matter what it is. I've heard this. I've not seen it all the way, but I yeah. I believe you. And and I'm not talking Godfather three. No, okay. <laughs> Just the first two. Okay. Three, eh, I guess you have to throw it in there. But really the first two, you know. Yeah. So by far that would I would say my favorite all time movie. Okay, cool. Mm-hmm. And our right, our last question of the lightning round: What okay. is your favorite color, Tony? Oh, uh, oh, I don't know. I like them all. I'm not. I'm not. I never had a favorite. Um, I guess. Um, I'll say. What is it? Is it black? Because it's all the colors. Black because it's all color. You can say that, yes. Okay, because it's all the colors. I'll say it. It's a mix of blends. It's a mix, yeah. Oh, thank you so much, Tony, for letting us get to know you on the fun level. You are definitely a fun person to interview, by the way. (laughs) And I would love for you to play your guitar for us, if you possibly could, because we are in-house and in the studio. And, um, yeah, I would love for you to play your guitar. And um, in case the Lip Talk Nation hasn't heard any of your music yet, which I think they have, they just don't know it was your music. So um, if you got us 20 seconds of something for us, that would be really awesome. I'll play you something from Duck Dynasty. Boom.
And that was highly entertaining, by the way, watching <laughs> you play that, Tony, live right here in front of you. Lip Talk Nation, what an incredible person Tony is. I hope you you can listen to this episode again and take really good notes and opening up about your story and releasing all of the, the tragedies and the crap that you've had in your life so that you actually can live a more fulfilling life. Right, Tony? That's yes. It. So what, what projects are you working on right now? What current um, I got, you know, I'm always working on some kind of show. You know, we have, I think, Pipples and Parolees, Wahlburgers is another one we're doing. I have a movie soundtrack, <clears throat> um, that my first one actually, where I'm doing the whole movie score. I got that coming up. So yeah, I have a record I'm finishing up and, uh, with Fred LeBlanc from, uh, Cowboy Mouth and, uh, you know, just doing my thing. More and more stuff. I'm going to be playing out some, putting together a new band and, uh, yeah. I think the two of us will be playing together, doing some stuff. It's so, be exciting. yeah. So, you know, yeah. I try and stay as busy as I can, do as many things as I can. Right. Mm -hmm. I, I love that. And you can feel free to put some music in right now as I ask you the last question. So, yeah, da, 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 da. yeah here we go. Um, thank you so much, Tony, for sharing your vulnerability with us and, and with Life in Purple. So, where can we find out more about you? You can uh, go to my website, TonyPasco.com, P-A-S-K-O.com, and, uh, you know, visit me on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or any of those things. I'm, I'm socially everywhere, I guess. On, I love it. You know. Socially everywhere. So do you have any final advice for our listeners who are struggling? Do you have any final words of encouragement who are or maybe have dreams and they're just too scared to go for it? Well, and that's the thing that you got to get over. Face your fears. Because they're never as bad as you think they are. And even when I, I faced many times, I, I, there was a project I went into and I was really kind of hesitant. And I'm like, well, this guy, if he's going to, you know, I knew he had some issues. And I was like, if he starts pulling this stuff and this, and it's going to ruin the project. And sure enough, we get halfway through, everything was really good. And he started pulling his stuff. And, and, and I thought this was exactly what I was afraid that was going to happen. But I jinxed it going into the thing just waiting for, you know, the hammer to drop. And that's the thing you got to get past is things are going to happen always. You got to go into it, give it your all. And when the things happen, because they're going to happen, that's where the fear comes from is the fear of, oh, this could happen or that could happen. I hear by so many people and they're like, well, I'm just afraid this. Well, you know what? Yeah, you're going to, that that most likely will happen. When I started my, my business, a lot of people were saying when I was doing consulting, when I left PV and everything and, you know, you know, people were telling me, well, you know, it's hard out there and we're in a recession and, and all these things are going to happen and the music industry is in the toilet and all this kind of stuff happens. And you got to think. Well, it was in the 50s. It was crappy in the 60s, you know, then then the drug culture of the 70s and then the 80s happened. I mean, there was always something at some time. This is just our time going through whatever is going on now. So if, if, if there wasn't anything ever going on and it came easy, then it wouldn't be good. The, the good is hard. And I heard and I had somebody tell me this one time. That um, if it wasn't so hard, it wouldn't be any good. And and that's when I started thinking, well, if a project is a struggle and we fought tooth and nail and we're all beat up and damaged at the end, then we probably wrote something really great. you got to start living for the experience. We're not taught that. We're not taught in in society here today, nowadays that you know we're trying so much to get to that finish line. There is no finish line. 
You know, it's just one experience after another. Just because you do one project, you gotta, it's just gonna set you up for the next one. So when people say, well, yeah, you just never give up or you just keep moving on, because I don't see this as the end of anything. This is just what I'm doing now. And, and whatever sets of setbacks or delays or anything happens. And, and, and like I said, I'm saying this now. You know, you, you may run into me three months from now and I'm bitching about something. You know, that's just part of the process though. But I know the more that I've gone through things and have disappointments, trust me, I feel like, you know, when I got signed to labels and then got dumped from labels and then had bands and then bands that broke up and we had a hit song here and then that didn't happen. I've had a lot of ups and downs in the music industry. People don't remember you by your, your failures. They remember you by your successes. And all you need is one or two. And people hold on to those things forever. But even besides all that, if you live a good life, you want to be remembered by your life, not by your, your things you've acquired. No one's ever going to remember, well, he had four cars or he had, you know, 20 guitars. or this. People don't remember. You know what they remember over time? That dude was funny. Or he was a, she was really sweet. Or I remember her, she would laugh all the time. Whenever you talk, when people remember people, it's never monetary. Or they never say, well, he had more money than God, but he, boy, what a jerk. And that's what you always remember. So if you base yourself upon these things you acquire, people will never really know who you are. They'll just think of the things that you acquired. And that's very sad to me. It is really sad, and I'm so glad that you pointed that out, Tony. You gave excellent advice right here at the end. That's right, and you don't. What you want to do is face your fears, and they're never as bad as you think no. they are. But and they, even when they are, exactly. deal with it and go through it. Yeah, because there's it could be so much worse. I know people that should have gotten their dues, and they should be bigger than they are. I mean, I'm one of them. I, you know, I'm I'm electric. I think I'm fantastic. You know what I mean? Right. I should be top of the world. That's just me. Um, but I'm still working and I'm still moving forward. And there are people dealing with horrendous things. I'm sitting here playing guitar. Yeah. You know, you're living your passion. Yeah. You got to get over yourself sometimes and just realize that. I love you know, it. Get over yourself. Lip talk nation. Yeah. You got to face your fears. We take ourselves way too seriously. We, we you do. know, and, and some of these people with the egos, I just don't get all that. It's just like, relax. Relax. You know, just relax. Go about your life. You're no better than anybody else. Let's just deal with this whole thing. We're, you know, we're all having to go through this right. thing together. And, you know, that's how I see it. That's just how I try to approach things. I try to go into things as fresh. I don't want to be the one negative guy. You know, I try to be positive in a situation when things go south. You know, I have my moments and then something, then hopefully I'm smart enough to pull myself out and move on and wipe my, you know, <laughs> brush myself off and hopefully, you know, move yeah. down the line. Lip Talk Nation, Tony Pasco in the house. Thank you so much for sharing your story with us. No Tony, it really has been an honor, you know, for spending your time with Life in Purple, where the broken can heal and the successful can conquer. It's been a pleasure once again, hearing your story and letting our listeners glean value from your experience. So Lip Talk Nation, if you have enjoyed today's episode or one of our previous episodes, I would love to hear from you. And if you're an iPhone user, go on over to iTunes and leave a friendly review. And for Android users, send me a quick email to laura at lauraspragg.com. And remember, we'll see you soon. And as always, what you say is what you become. <laughs>